Well, good morning, everyone. We are here to worship our Lord this morning. Um, thank you for being here and for those online as well. We want to start off with a, a reading from it's a couple of different psalms, um, focusing in on kind of our, our theme of worship today, that, that God is our, our strength, and there is no one like him. Who is like you, Lord? Who, Who is, is like you, Lord? Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory. Awesome in glory. Working wonders. Working wonders. My soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. Delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, Who, who is, is like, like you, Lord? You rescue. You rescue the poor from those too strong for them. You rescue the poor and needy from those who rob them. Who, who is, is like, like you, Lord? The Lord is exalted. The Lord is exalted. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Our God. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high. The one who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Who, who is, is like, like you, Lord? Lord? Would you stand and sing with us? today. We've got a couple of announcements. I'll call your attention to a bulletin here. First, there's a, there's a fellowship night coming up this Saturday. I guess it's actually an afternoon. Starts at 2 o'clock. Talk to Christine Nice Warner if you need more information about that. There is a college and career event coming up um, this Tuesday night if you've got a, an older student interested in that as well. Um, and then it's that time of year. Easter egg donations are now um, being accepted. So there's a, there's a box out there in the entryway. Um, if you could, could bring those and help get ready for our Easter egg hunt. Um, we also do have a Moms Together group that's starting. Do we have somebody that wanted to make that announcement, or should I just cover it here? Is there? Okay, perfect. Marla, you can use that microphone, or you can use that too, either. Okay, I'm excited about a new ministry, what we have starting up on Thursday. So we just need your prayers as... We get started, and this is for moms of, with young children, pregnant up through age six with their ch children, and we have a really neat steering team. We have Nancy Venesey, we have Mackenzie South, Kara Jones, and, oh, Jackie. Um, and then we have a wonderful group of child care worker people, and we won't be able to get through it without them, and they're going to be the backbone of us getting this ministry going. So if you could just pray for us. If you happen to be in that category of a mother who has a preschooler, let us know, and we'd like you to come. And we have a card on the back table. 
Thanks. Thank you, Marla. Um, Pastor Steve. Jesse, why don't you come on up? Uh, our new associate in youth, Jesse, is going to uh, share with us just a answer a couple of questions and kind of let us know what's going on with our, our youth ministry. So, uh, Jesse, first of all, I just wanted to ask if you would just kind of give everybody a little bit of a feel for what's happening. Uh, you know, who's involved in, in youth ministry? Who does that entail? Uh, well, to start, I would like to acknowledge um, those who have been doing youth ministry for the last um, handful of years. Uh, I've been blessed to come into a situation where we have a solid core team. We have a solid ministry going on already. So I want to say thank you to you guys who have been a part of it and guys and gal, um, Karen Clarkson. Um, thank you. Um, and it's just been a blessing to come into a ministry uh, where I can already see God working. We also have a few new leaders who um, this year are going to be joining us and excited to see how God's working and how God is um, bringing, bringing people along um, to serve in the ministry. Um, so we got, we got a handful of leaders and we're building a team. We're excited to continue to build that team to get more loving adults in Christ-centered relationships with students. Um, so we have a, a good solid leader team and we're, that we're working on building and growing. And we also have a good group of students who are involved because um, to have a good youth ministry, you need to have students involved. Um, so we, we have a good variety of students coming from different backgrounds. If you look around this morning, you can see a handful of students here in church this morning. So we have a lot of Creekside, <laughs> Creekside families um, who have students who have middle school and high school students. So we've got a good solid um, core group of, of believers from our church, a part of our youth ministry, which is a, a huge blessing. Um, and uh, additionally, on top of that, I'm sure a lot of you are aware that we have a Nawana program that meets and has been um, going on for some time. And through that avenue, we have we see a lot of um, students kind of moving up to the ranks of Awanas and then graduating into middle school and high school ministry. So we have a good group of, of uh, students from um, that come up through Awanas. And in that group, we have a lot of the um, uh, refugee families from the Chin people who are a part of that ministry. So that's that's been a blessing. They they have their own churches in the area, but a lot of times um, their churches don't have avenues um, to serve their students. Um, so we're blessed to be able to to serve in that way and to um, to do ministry to those those students. And so we have a, a good variety of students coming from all over. I mean, we've got homeschool students. We got kids from Des Moines Christian. We have kids from Valley, from Urbandale, from Johnston, um, from Roosevelt. Um, so we're, we're seeing students come from all over the Des Moines area. And so we've got, we've got kids coming from all over. And in that group, when you pull them all together, there's quite a, a good-sized group. I would guess, I haven't done the actual numbers on this, anywhere between 45 and 50 students have come through the doors at some point in the last few months. Um, now, on a weekly basis... The amount they're there on each night is probably 35 to 40. But we have a large group of kids who are, who are coming together to hear God's word and to get to know each other. And so that's been a real blessing. Cool, cool. So why don't you give us a little bit of a feel for what a, like a typical Wednesday night would look like for you? So on Wednesday, I don't know how familiar everyone is with Wednesday nights. So I'm going to break it all the way down to what the whole thing looks like. It's not just on Wednesday nights, it's not just the youth ministry. There's a one that's going on, there's adult ministries. So to start the night off, we have a, an awesome group of volunteers who put together a meal every Wednesday. And so that's a real blessing for, for uh, us who are in youth ministry. We come, we eat with the students, we get to talk with them. And then for, from about 5.30 to 6.30, for almost an hour, um, between eating a meal and then going up to the youth room and hanging out, 
we get just an hour of spending time with students and connecting. It's just complete open hangout time. Kids are playing ping pong, foosball, cards at the table, some video games, or just sitting at a table and talking. And it's a time to catch up from the week or get to know some new people that you haven't had the opportunity to talk to before. And so it's a great opportunity for our leaders to connect with students, and it's a great opportunity for students to connect with each other. And then after that time, at about 6.30, we try to get rolling with our, our worship and our, our lesson time, our, our learning time, as I like to call it. So in this time, we try to consistently, as consistently as possible, um, have um, important aspects of, of uh, following Christ. And so that, that involves worship, um, and usually that's led by one of our worship teams. Um, that involves um, a Bible-centered lesson. Uh, which usually is, is someone getting up and sharing in somewhat of a lecture format. And then following that, we break out into small groups and we try to have good discussion where students can interact with what they're learning. They can interact with the Word of God, ask questions, answer questions, and start to apply to their lives. Um, and then we also try to focus on, on praying together. And um, so we're, we're taking baby steps along the way and learning and growing in each of these processes. I think that we, we've seen a lot of the Holy Spirit working. Sometimes it feels a little, a little rough. Um, feels like with as many kids we have and as, as few leaders we have, sometimes we're like, it's controlled chaos. And so in the midst of that, sometimes it's hard to, to see what God's doing. But I think we've gotten a few glimpses of the Holy Spirit working. And I just want to share a couple examples. One of the examples I'm thinking of is a few weeks back as our worship team was leading worship, which can be kind of a, a time where some of the students get a little rowdy and aren't paying attention and gets a little noisy. But I just remember at one point, I don't even remember what song it was, but all of a sudden everyone just kind of got quiet and I looked around and everyone's just focusing on, on the worship time. And it was encouraging to see um, in the midst of a night that is sometimes feeling a little chaotic, um, the Holy Spirit still is reaching through and, and um, impacting these kids. Similarly, in our small group discussion time, I've been able to be a part of a couple small groups with some students where the students were actively engaging. They're asking good questions um, about the lesson, and they're answering hard questions, questions that are pointed to their life, pointed to how they're following Christ or not, and mm. being open and, and being willing to dive into that. So that's been encouraging. And lastly, one of the most encouraging things to me is we try to end our time in prayer. And um, depending on how the group makeup, sometimes students are a little nervous to engage in prayer together. And one week I was blessed to be a part of a group where a group of guys all prayed together and they were praying for each other and praying, um, bringing requests to God. And so it was just encouraging to see that even in the midst of what seems like controlled chaos sometimes, God is still working. Um, and so um, we're excited to see what he continues to do. And I think I'm speaking for myself and for all of our leaders that we're looking forward to see seeing God work in the lives of these students. And I think that that's going to happen best if you all join us in prayer and if we continue to get more leaders involved in, in Christ-centered relationships with these students. I'm going to pray, okay? Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, I just thank you for uh, the way that you've been working in and through the ministry to the students here at Creekside. Thank you for Jesse and for each of the adults who have been pouring into their lives. And I pray... Uh, for these students and for these leaders, that you would work powerfully to accomplish your purposes. Lord, I just pray you continue to raise up a good group, a good base of, of adults that will come alongside these students, and you'd also continue to work through Jesse as he plans and, and prays and organizes, and that there would be a moving of your spirit in the lives of these young people, that we'd see many come to know Christ and those who know Christ growing and deepening in their walk with Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. 
Well, you may be able to tell a little bit. I'm kind of playing wounded here today a little bit this morning. Um, and so I'm just going to tell you this. I would love to have a chance to, to talk to you guys after the service. But when I get done up here, I'm probably just going to sneak out uh, because I don't want to share what I've got with anybody. Um, it's not totally debilitating, but I'm just, uh, that's all I'm going to say. Love you, but uh, I love you enough to not share this, okay? Um, I would like to ask for your prayers because in about two weeks, um, my brother Anand and I are headed to his homeland. And we're going to be spending some time. Now, some of you don't know who Anand is, that's fine. Uh, but you'll get to know him. He's sitting over here. Uh, right, wave your hand, Anand. Okay, there he is. Uh, we're headed to Anand's homeland, and uh, it's going to be uh, an adventure, uh, uh, a jam-packed uh, week and a half, uh, March 2nd through March 14th. Uh, he sent me the itinerary last night, and I was like, you know, we're two or three times a day we're going to be gathering with uh, others, other brothers and sisters, and uh, we are looking forward to that. I'm not going to go into a lot of details up here, but uh, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you would be praying for us, pray that we would serve God faithfully and that we would have stamina and strength to endure uh, the, the trip and the, the demands of that schedule and that God would use us to be an encouragement, okay, and that you would help. That he, and we pray for your prayers as we prepare as well. So that, that, that being said, we're excited about that and grateful for, for that opportunity. I'm thankful for Creekside Church for uh, them letting me go. So I'll be gone for uh, two Sundays for sure. And that's, uh, that's the plan. So March 2nd through the 14th. Thank you very much for your prayers ahead of time. Can't tell you enough how important that is. So let me pray and then we'll continue to worship as we look at the Word of God. Father in heaven. Uh, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, you'd open up our eyes. You'd open up our hearts and our souls and our minds uh, to the truths you have for us that we might be informed and transformed for your glory. Uh, we pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd help me and each of us as we read the truth of your word to make it real in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week the, the CDC came out with a report, and uh, the report said that 57% of all, this is self-reporting, 57% of young teenage girls, high school girls, are experiencing some form of sadness or hopelessness. And 30% have thought about suicide. And those are tragic statistics. And in our world, young women are brought to a place where they feel like their worth, their value is tied up with being significant. Their stability, their, their, their safety is all about how they look and if they're accepted. And as I thought about the statistics and I thought about the passage we're looking at this morning, I thought, you know, Hannah, this young woman who was burdened with barrenness in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, she could well be among those young women who feel a sense of hopelessness 
and helplessness and even have contemplated suicide if it was not for the work of God in her life. The work of God in her heart and the work of God in her life. She went from being weeping over the unfortunate circumstances of her life to rejoicing and resting in God. And her transformation took place in her heart. And as a transformation took place in her heart, which we looked at last week in chapter 1, it moved her to pray. To pray a very passionate and very pointed prayer, which God did answer. And as God answered it, it moved her, secondly, to see his person and his provision in a way that stirred her to worship him even more. And as we open the book of the Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 2, we see the response of Hannah to what God has done in her life, not only to his person, but to, to provide for her this child. And it comes to me, it seems to me, that this provides us with an example that we should look to her and learn from her. It inspires me. I hope it inspires you as well to worship the King of Kings. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up to, to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And in this song of praise, there are three stanzas that inspire us to worship the King of Kings, the only one who is worthy. And I'm going to read the text, and then we'll little unpack those three stanzas. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Because I rejoice in your salvation, there is, only, there is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and He raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low and He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He set the world on them. He keeps the feet of His godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king. And will exalt the horn of his anointed. Well, that's her song of praise. And the first stanza that I see in this is in verses 1 through 3 and that is that we, we could worship and as she does we worship God for his personal deliverance there are three lessons that I think Hannah teaches us about praise first of all that we, we personally rejoice in God's deliverance you notice in verse 1 my 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 three times my and one time I 
personal pronouns. She's speaking from her own experience here. She's sharing what God has done. And the object of her affection. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. If you went down through this text and and underlined or circled or highlighted the mention of the Lord or God or the pronouns that refer to him 20 plus times, her focus is on the Lord. And as we come to worship, that's where our focus ought to be. A beautiful reminder that when we are personally worshiping God, when we are corporately worshiping God, that we are here to worship Him. And what is worship? Worship is to joyfully respond to God's goodness. It's to joyfully respond to who He is. And so when we come to worship, and that's the challenge for us, you come here on Sunday mornings, are you here to see how many times the praise team members are off-key? Are you here to see what color the, 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 the scheme is? Are you here to see who's here and who's not here? Or are we here to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is worthy of our praise? And Hannah brings us to the throne of grace, and we see her right focus on the living God, and she offers praise in three ways. My heart, her innermost being, rejoices in her relationship with God. Her horn is exalted. Interestingly enough, metaphorically, the horn was referred to horns, real horns, right? Literally. But metaphorically, it refers to strength. And even in the culture there, virility. And how fitting for Hannah to say her horn exalts in the fact that she had just had this child, Samuel. She exalts in the Lord, aptly applied to her. And Hannah's joy over the Lord's salvation from her hopeless infertility prompted her praise. But it did something else. It emboldened her against her enemies. And who was her primary enemy? Penina, right? In her own household. Penina was her her primary enemy. And she was emboldened to speak out against her enemies. Marla and I met this week with a dear couple friend of ours who've done a lot of mission work. Actually, he's the head of a mission agency. And they were telling us about having gone overseas and they went into this building in a war-torn country. And uh, the building they were meeting in still had shards of glass from the last time the place had been bombed and the windows had been blown out. And God met them there, and God used them there, and He worked with them there, and they came back and they lived to tell about it, and they were praising God for His work, but also emboldened to speak against the enemies who would say, oh, you really shouldn't go to such nasty places to share the gospel of Jesus with people. They were emboldened, and she was emboldened. And I ask you this morning, when was the last time you remember God delivering you personally? From a difficulty. From a tragedy. From a calamity. I was riding my bike over here this morning and God delivered me from a calamity. As I turned the corner down here on the sidewalk, my front wheel went shh. Because I hit a patch of ice. 
And immediately it hit some solid concrete. And, oh, Lord, thank you. But every one of us here who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can testify to the fact that we have been marvelously, miraculously delivered. Even if we can't think of a, a, a personal ex- instance, and it doesn't have to be some miraculous thing, marvelous thing, like, like uh, becoming pregnant when you thought you were barren, but that certainly would be included. So we personally rejoice in God's deliverance. Is that true for you? I hope so. And secondly, we personally recognize God's transcendence. Verse 2. There is no one holy like you. Like the Lord. There's no one holy like the Lord. Holiness, it means set apart, distinct from the common and profane. There is no one who is as holy, as unblemished as the Lord. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2 tells us this. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. Which Peter repeats in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 15 and 16. Be holy for I am holy. Set apart. Now some of you know the name Usain Bolt. Uh, he's the fastest man on the planet, or he holds that world record. Some, he, he's faster than anybody, but some people get close. Our God is not even remotely approachable when it comes to holiness. And nobody even comes remotely close to who God is in regard to His holiness. And His holiness demands, justly demands, justice. Because we measure up, we don't measure up to His holiness, we deserve His just punishment. And we are desperately far away from His holiness. Secondly, we see, first of all, His unparalleled holiness, and secondly, His unrivaled deity. No one besides you. I think it communicates that he, not, you know, not, not like there's no other person besides God. There is no other God besides God. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 and 6 says this. You can see it on the screen. I am the Lord and there is no one else. There is no one except me. There's no plurality of gods. There's no pantheon of gods. I am Uh, I will arm you, though you have not known me, so that people may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no one else. He alone is God. And then unmatched reliability. He is the rock, says in verse 2. Nor nor this symbolizes stability and safety and security. Firm footing. He's the one on which we stand. Our loving and living God is the only one we can trust fully with all of who we are. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, uh, verse 32, it says this, For who is God except the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? And so I would submit to you that Hannah, first of all, is speaking about her own personal experience and my, 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 and I, and then she talks about, hey, God is the only one who is worthy of our worship regardless of our circumstances and regardless of how I feel. 
I don't feel like worshiping God. You know what? Sometimes our actions lead us to the feelings rather than our feelings leading us to the actions. He alone is worthy. And then thirdly, we personally reject arrogance. In light of God's transcendence, we do well to be silent in our arrogance. Because he is totally other, we should be quiet and not boast. And I can't help but think that Hannah's thinking a little bit in the back of her mind about Penina, rubbing it in that Hannah doesn't have any children, but Penina has many. We should be silent about our arrogance. You see, God hates pride. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says that he hates pride. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogance, and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit, my translation, why I memorize it, was before a great fall, okay, before stumbling. You see someone snooty? You know, you people walking around with their, uh, their nose in the air. If it rains, they're going to drown. These people will get their comeuppance. But oftentimes, I am that person. You see, pride manifests itself in a lot of different ways. You know? And that's the subtlety of Satan to work us in. But we must reject this arrogance. Pride is prohibited. Notice in the text, it says in verse 3, halfway down, the little word for, circle it. Because that's the reason. That's the reason why we should be silent in our arrogance. (laughs) Because God is a God of knowledge. And he knows. And there's no secrets with God. And we can't pull the wool over God's eyes. Go over and see my grandson, and he throws a blanket over his head. And I say, where's Leo? Where's Leo? Because he can't see me, so he thinks I can't see him. You can't pull the wool over God's eyes. I can think I'm pulling the blanket over my face, and God doesn't see me. That's not true. He is a God who sees, but he's not just cognizant of who we are. He is a God who cares, and he's concerned. My dear wife, Marla, and I have permission to share this. Okay. My dear wife, Marla, when our kids were growing up, <laughs> she confounded them because she knew what they were up to. She had her sources, and those sources were very reliable. And so if our kids did anything, and we prayed, and you can pray this, parents, we prayed, if they do stupid stuff, that they would be found out. We went to, we went to bat. We said, Lord... Expose them. Reveal it, show it, and make it hurt. So they don't do stupid stuff. And she knew it, and but she cared and she was concerned about her kids. This is our God. He knows, but he also weighs. Weighs. And what does it mean by he weighs? That's what the text says. And he weighs it. He acts justly in response. To our activity. That's what he means. He weighs it. He's like, he doesn't just know about it. He doesn't just care and he isn't concerned. He's like, okay, we're going to see what we're going to do with that. 
And uh, the proverb, Solomon in the proverb says, Will he not render, he being God, to man according to his work? Now think about Hannah. God was aware of her reverence. And he was aware of Panina's arrogance. And he acted justly in accordance with each, though not immediately. Okay, not immediately. But he did. He acted in accordance with it. And so here, to me, there's a caution. Nothing is hidden from God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. All things are naked and laid bare before the one with whom we have to do. (laughs) Okay. Nothing. Hannah, I think, inspires worship for God's personal deliverance. Whether you're a, a woman who has struggled with pregnancy and then God provides a pregnancy or maybe you don't get a pregnancy but then God brings an adoption. Maybe it's healing. Physical or emotional healing from trauma. Physical or emotional healing. Maybe it's a relationship that's been broken and severed but then it comes back and, and it's restored. This is a deliverance from calamity and and injustice. Or protection, like me riding my bicycle. Or overcoming an addiction. Maybe it's a financial recovery or it's being cleared of false charges. There's no guarantee here. I don't want to paint, paint a wrong picture. There's no guarantee that every difficulty or injustice will be remedied on earth. That's not the promise here. But it is encouragement that that's what God's heart is. That God's heart is to vindicate the righteous and condemn the wicked. That's who He is. And in verses 3 through 10, we see that teased out and played out even more that God is committed to right the wrongs and reverse human injustice. And so we, we worship God not just for our personal deliverance, but we worship God because of His power. I could have said His power to deliver, but I worded his powerful deliverance and there's two methods more construction not really uh, there it's more about the construction but first of all we see that that his sovereignty is revealed in these striking contrasts verses four and five says this the the bows of the mighty now that literally means the the bow that they're drawing using to shoot an arrow that's the symbol of their strength okay the bows of the mighty are shattered but the feeble gird on strength, and those who are full hire themselves out for bread. He's talking about a reversal here. And it, 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 that theme plays out through the rest of the text. There's a reversal of the social order that's correcting the disadvantages which God's people oftentimes experience. Because we're not out there trying to prove how macho we are with our bows and arrows but we're trying to live for Jesus and sometimes we get stomped on and so you see in the first part of verse 4 the first part of verse 5 God humbles the proud okay look at the text the mighty the bow of the mighty that's shattered and then you see the beginning of verse 5 those who are full hire themselves out for bread. What's that mean? Well, they had to go to work. Like, oh, they thought they were set, and then all of a sudden they had to go to work. It's the humbling of the proud. Then notice 
the, the second phrase of each verse begins with what word? But, but, but. It's a contrast. So now that's the reversal. And the reversal is that the humble are exalted. So first of all, the exalted are humbled, and now the humbled are exalted. So that the feeble become strong and the hungry are full. This is God's heart. To reverse the injustice that his people often experience. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, Alan made mention of, I think it's made mention of 2 Kings chapter 6. And a wonderful story there that illustrates this, these two verses. Because in that story, the Arameans have surrounded, their armies have surrounded Elisha and his servant Gehazi. And God miraculously delivers Elisha and Gehazi by striking them with blindness. And then they lead them over to, to their own uh, people. They march them in there and then they reveal, oh wow. And so God miraculously delivered Elisha and Gehazi. But that's not the end of the story because we go on in, in the end of chapter 6 and into chapter 7 and God miraculously delivered them from a famine. So what's he doing? Well, the hungry are now full and the humbled are now exalted. This is the way God works. And then at the end of verse 5, uh, look at, it says in the last part of verse 5, even the barren gives birth to seven. That's Hannah's experience, right? She became pregnant. Now, you can, oh, yeah, but she didn't have seven kids. She only had six. Who cares? Uh, the point is that she was barren and she had kids. Okay? And the barren, the text says, what happens to Penina? Those who have many children languish. Uh, yeah, she, she was a loser both ways. She was a loser when she was arrogant. She was a loser uh, after Hannah had, had, had the baby because she wasn't the one who was loved. That's a terrible plight for Penina. But this is illustrated throughout the scriptures where God takes the barren and blossoms them so that they're used to be fruitful. You think of Rebecca and Rachel. And then in the New Testament, Elizabeth and her others that God has, has, has worked in their lives. And so his sovereignty is seen through these striking contests and then it's through these polar opposites in verses 6 through 8. Now I would submit to you that verses 6 through 8 stresses God's intentional control so it's deliberate okay there's deliberate activity on the part of God intentional control over every facet of life with special reference or regard to reversing the injustices out of concern for his people to accomplish his purposes so that sometimes Again, not every time, but God brings about these reversals for the sake of his people and for the cause that he has set out and, and for his purposes. Verse 6, it says this, O Lord, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol, that's the place of the dead, and he raises up. God controls death and life and whether or not we remain in the place of the dead or we're raised again to new life. God's in charge. God's in charge of all of that. Verse 7. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low and he exalts. Our God is in charge of income and influence distribution. Just think about that. He's in charge of income 
and influence distribution. Kind of throws a wrench in this idea that everybody should be equal in their outcome with regard to influence or income. No, because God decides income and influence. Uh, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. At the end of, of David's life, he's amassing a, 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 a wealth to, for his son Solomon to build the temple. And he says this, and you can see it on the screen, but I love the verse 12 particularly, both riches and honor come from you. From who? God. You rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone, which in his hand is also power to weaken and disable everyone. And then you can go on and read it, but he, he's just praising God for providing the resources for them to build the temple. Riches and honor come from you. But we often act like it comes from us. Look what I did. No, remember verse 3, arrogance shouldn't come out of our mouth. No, God did it. And God worked powerfully. And from the, in verse, verse 8, see, that God's reversal of injustice is for the sake of his righteousness. It's even expanded. In verse 8, he goes on to say this. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. Think Joseph in the Old Testament. I mean, the dude was sold into slavery, went into prison and stayed in prison for two years. And then finally he gets out of prison and he becomes second in command. Think Daniel. Taken into captivity. Became one of the most influential people in the, in the Medo-Persian Empire. The Babylonian Medo-Persian. He lived out, lived them all. You know, he was, he was there all through the whole captivity. He was, he was the guy. Think of David. His shepherd boy becomes king. Last in this of the sons becomes king. This is God's way of working it. I thought about Dr. Ben Carson. Here was a guy who couldn't read and now he's a world-renowned neurosurgeon and he was the secretary of housing and urban development. <laughs> Woo! How do you do that? God does it. God raises some of the righteous to significance and he reduces some of the rebellious now he's going to reduce them all we'll see that in a minute because he's the creator with the power and the prerogative to rectify injustice upon his people through social reversal restoring creation to its rightful order i think that's what it means at the end of verse 8 when it says he'll restore it to the foundation pillars upon which it was built that's God's divine order, is that the righteous are right with God and the wicked suffer his punishment. And God will do it. He gives us a taste of it now, but ultimately it will happen. I'm not going to go there, but in, you can read the book of Job in Job 38. <laughs> God does this. He sets things back right. Remember, Job lost everything, and everybody's whining, getting down on Job, and even Job is whining, and then finally Job uh, meets up with God. God meets Job, and he says, uh, where were you when I created the foundations of the world and set the pillars of the earth in place? Uh, and Job's like, oh, got no answer for that. God is God, and we are not. Finally, we worship God 
for his promised deliverance. Not just for his personal deliverance, not just for his power to deliver. Both of those are very commendable and important reasons to worship Almighty God. But because of his promised deliverance. God's reversal of injustice is only tasted by us now. But it will be totally complete someday. Some of you are here this morning and you are suffering injustice. You are struggling with difficulty. You are in the midst of a hardship. And it's all part of the fallen world we live in. But someday, someday, we'll all know victory that we can only taste this side of glory. Three assurances are provided in the text that I see. There may be more. First, our God is an ally to the righteous. Look at verse 9. He keeps, he keeps, he guards, he protects, he guides. That means God is leading. That means God is directing the life of every one of his children. He's protecting, keeping us safe, and accomplishing his purposes until we meet him. Monday I did Mary Bradley's funeral. Well, that was her time. We only have so much time, and the psalmist tells us that God has numbered our days when as yet there was none of them. And during our time, if we're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, He keeps us. He keeps us, and He protects us on the path to accomplish His purposes until we meet Him in glory. I like 1 Peter 1.5. It talks about that we are kept for salvation. He keeps us. And works in and through us until the day of salvation. And then secondly, our God is an adversary to the rebellious. Look at the end of verse 9. But, I love the word but. But the wicked ones will be silenced in darkness. God is an ally to those who are righteous. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God is on your side. He's the God of angel armies. And He's always... He's before us, He's behind us, He's at our side. Now I know some of you don't feel like it right now. But remember, He alone is God. There is no one besides Him. And it may seem like you're in the desert, but you're not. The Lord is with you. But He is against the enemies. And this silenced in darkness, oh, Jesus pictures it in in Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. And I want you to, do we have that one or not? Yeah, but the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. The sons of the kingdom, no, will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not the sons of God's kingdom, but the sons of Satan's kingdom. They're going to be thrown. In that place is weeping. Darkness doesn't mean, oh, it's just going to be black. No, it means torment. Eternal conscious torment. From which we can be delivered. But the rebellious will experience this in their silence and darkness. And then he says, for not by might shall a man prevail. Makes me think of uh, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. So what do I see that meaning? Well, here it, it challenges the delusion that people can will or work their way to salvation. Not by might will a man prevail. 
There's nothing I can do. There's nothing you can do that will will me or work me to right relationship with God. No. I can't do it. I'm destined for an eternity apart from heaven. Psalm 33, verses 16 and 17. The king is not saved by his mighty army. The mighty man is not saved by his great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. <laughs> then he closes it. Nor does it rescue any by, uh, anyone by its great strength. Uh, but the delight of the Lord is in the one who fears him. That's the, that's the point. We can't make it on our own. And uh, verse 10 goes on. It gets worse. Uh, those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Anybody ever, anybody ever seen, don't try this at home, okay? I'm going to say this, but don't try it. Everybody, anybody ever seen a fluorescent light bulb? Like drop on like concrete? Uh, I'll just tell you, it, it becomes powder. You take that bulb, and if you, if you, I mean, you don't have to get up high. All you have to do is, I was in working one time, and one was leaning up against the wall, and it fell over. <laughs> it just becomes powder. And a, and a nuclear, a hazmat scene. Uh, that's not what's here. It's, it's not like we're, it's not, a, not annihilation. Uh, it's not, an, a shattering here does not mean annihilation. No. It means eternal devastation. And humiliation for those who rebel against God. And then the scripture goes on. He will unleash the forces of nature. They're thunder and lightning. He'll unleash the forces of nature to thwart his enemies. Uh, you can write it down if you want to. Matthew chapter 25 verse 31. Jesus talks about thunder and lightning. It's uh, uh, metaphors that are often used to describe. But I think literally too. God uses thunder and lightning uh, immediately. Immediate historical references like 1 Samuel, we're going to get there, verses four through seven, chapters 4 through 7. We're going to see God thwarting the thunder and lightning and scaring the Philistines out of there. They're going to freak out and, and run. And He uses hailstones, He uses all these kinds of things to defeat His enemies. And interestingly enough, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, the, they had gods who were in charge of these things. You remember Elisha? Elijah on, the, on Mount Carmel, right? <laughs> well, Baal was the god of thunder and lightning. Well, then just call on your god and have him bring down the lightning, and I'll call on my god, and we'll see who's god. We'll have a, you know, we'll have a duel <laughs> between gods. Oh, they had many gods, but you just called it, you know, it's called down. Well, here, the scripture tells us that this is what happens. It's final judgment that's in view here. There's immediate historical and ultimate eschatological reality here. Because in the end, our God is a consuming fire. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 31, says the king... Uh, no, that's not it. Hebrews chapter 10. Do we have that? No, okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, and in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it, he is a consuming fire. is is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Don't go there. And then... It says at the end of verse 10, or in the middle there, it says he'll, he'll judge, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. Certainty, purity, and equity will come at the end judgment. I, I think this is at the end. It's not, there are precursors to it. There are pictures of it all along the way. But this is judged the ends of the earth. The certainty of it. And the purity of it and the equity of it. And the psalmist speaks of it in Psalm 96, verse 13. 
And he says in 98.9, he says, Before the Lord, for he is coming, for he will, uh, is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples in faithfulness. Before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and his people with fairness. See, it's certain, it's sure, and it's fair. And what's fair is if we're falling short of God's glory, we deserve his wrath. But if through the blood of Christ we're trusting in his death on the cross as the payment for our sins, no, we are righteous because the righteousness of Christ has been put on the children of God so that God sees them as righteous. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Every divinely orchestrated um, deliverance, okay, vindication of the righteous, is just a taste of the eternal triumph of good over evil. Every time God gives us a little victory, it's just a taste, a down payment of full and final victory that we will receive in glory. And every injustice, every injustice is temporary. Everything out of whack in this world is temporary. I know it's painful. I mean, I've, you know, we can all share our stories about the pain that we've endured and that we are enduring, but it is really temporary. And so we see finally, not only is he our, the adversary of the enemy, he is the ally of, his, of the righteous, but he brings his king brings ultimate deliverance. Very fascinating if you read the end of verse 10. He will give strength to his king. Now where did that come from? And he will exalt the horn of his anointed. At his final judgment, God will strengthen and exalt his king. His appointed, chosen, and anointed representative. You can look at Psalm 21, uh, some references there in verses 1 and 7. But here, Hannah makes mention, the first mention in all of the book of a king, which this is a chord that's beat and, and woven throughout the entire book of 1 Samuel about this king. And she makes mention of it with the first mention of it, she spoke prophetically. She's looking even beyond Saul, even, who was the Lord's anointed, even beyond David, who was the Lord's anointed, to David's true son, the anointed son of God, whom the angels said, Behold, for today in Bethlehem there's been born to you a Savior who is Christ, the anointed one, the Lord. In John chapter 20, verse 31, and these things have been written to you that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing, you might have life in his name. He is the Savior. She's speaking of Jesus. The King, who at the final judgment will be strengthened 
and will be exalted and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is, are you going to wait until that day in humiliation and brokenness and in condemnation to say he is king or will you do it now? Are you trusting in his death this king, who the Messiah, who died and rose again so that you and I might have life. He is the anointed one. And he alone brings salvation to us. He provides forgiveness and eternal life. And he is the sovereign Lord. So you may be here this morning or you may be listening online and you, you really don't know. You've never fully put your faith and your trust in Jesus. What I would say to you is that those who oppose God, those who contend with God, have only condemnation. And sometimes it's in this life, but ultimately and always for sure it is at the end of life. And those who know Jesus, those of us who know Christ, guess what? We, we're going to taste the victory. We're going to taste overcoming injustice sometimes in this life but it's only going to be a taste but one day in glory it will be full and final and sure and there's an encouragement here to to worship this God who can transform us this is the last word we hear from Hannah in the Bible that's it she gets two chapters that's two chapters more than any of us and then a lot of people but here she points, her, her, her despair to delight concludes with this inspiration and instruction of what it is to worship Him, praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. He is the King, and He alone provides us, the one who is this anointed, He alone provides us salvation. The ultimate deliverance from all that really plagues us, her security, her safety, her significance, we're bound up in having a child, but then she realized, no, it should be in her Lord. Same is true for us. And so, as we come to conclude our service and we take time to take bread and juice, help us think about Christ's humiliation that provides our ultimate salvation. It's symbolized in the bread as his body was broken and in the the juice which represents his blood that was shed because through faith alone in Christ alone we escape the judgment of God we're not going to be shattered we're not going to be separated we're going to be united with him and he's going to right every wrong because the right will prevail with peace on earth goodwill to men so Take a moment or two. The praise team's going to come. They're going to play a song. Examine your heart and search your heart. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I implore you to cry out in your, and, and turn from your sin and repent and call it for what it is and accept what Jesus did on the cross as a payment for your sins so that you can be one of his children and escape this eternal judgment. And if you know Christ, just get your heart right with God because God doesn't want you to come and make a mockery of this table. But remember and reflect on what he's done for you. And then come in rejoicing and take the bread and the cup. We have a table at the back and a table at the front. You can take it at, at the table or you can take it back to your seat and take it as you see fit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Hannah's song of praise. I thank you that she teaches us to worship you. 
She teaches us to worship you when we personally experience your deliverance. She teaches us to praise you because of your power to deliver. She teaches us to praise you, Father, for the promised deliverance that's coming. God, help us to live in light of her her instructions with hope and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Dismissed. Have a great week.